Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative. This is a show to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear, take it out of the driver's seat, and step more fully into the essence of who you are and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Mindframe Entertainment. Her name's Adair Byerly, and she's going to be teaching you all about the science behind creative minds. But first, I want to do a quick creative check-in and talk about the creative challenge. So last week's creative challenge was to create something, literally anything, based off the word rest. Personally, what I created was literal rest. It was pretty much the first time I've taken a full weekend off since the pandemic began. And I didn't work besides my concert, but I really don't consider that work. I just rested and I watched some TV, went on walks, enjoyed time with my family. And I got to say that because I did take that time to rest, the work that I've done this week, both for my job and editing the podcast, it's gone so much faster because I took that time to rest. So if you're not doing that, if you are lucky enough to have a job, but because you have a job and you're working from home, the days are bleeding into nights and there's kind of no in between. I definitely recommend taking a few days just to settle your mind. It will really help you get back to that creativity and that creative energy. This coming week's challenge is to create something that is inspired by the word suit. So create anything. Like I say, it could be literally anything, a Play-Doh sculpture, a meal, a game, a song, a painting, something inspired by the word suit. And today's creative check-in. So I'm going to base this off a tweet. I feel like I've done like three or four creative check-ins that have been based off a tweet because I usually tweet things when I have an immediate moment of inspiration and I feel like if I don't get it out right away, I don't know what's going to happen. So let me just pull this little puppy right up. I talked about the podcast because, you know, you probably noticed a lot of times on the podcast, because one of the goals of the show is to help you redefine your relationship with fear, I'll ask people what their current relationship with fear is and how they work on taking it out of the driver's seat. And by the way, just to clarify, when I say that, I don't mean you need to like get rid of fear. That's not even possible on an evolutionary level. Like we have fear ingrained in us as human beings and it's there as a teacher. I think it can be a really, really great tool. What I'm saying is you don't want it sitting at the head of the table. You don't want it making decisions for you. You want your soul, your gut, your hope making decisions, not your fear your intention, your dream, making the decisions. So anyway, a lot of times I'll ask people that question. And I think, you know, about 10% of the time they'll say, well, I just did it, which can be fine. And I'm sure they really believe that. But here, here's what I said on Twitter more eloquently than I could probably say it now. I ask a lot of tough questions on my podcast, Unleash Your Inner Creative. Most episodes, I ask the guests how they overcame their fear to go toward their dream. About 10% of the time, they say, I just did it. I always press them on this because that's never really true. For every difficult move we make in life and every adversity we overcome, there is always a tactic used. You might not recognize it without some pondering, but try to think back and dissect a time in your life when you did something that took courage. Extract the tactic and use that same strategy for something you want right now but are scared to go toward. 
So just to give you an example from my own life, when I went to start this podcast, I did have a lot of fear tied up in it. I thought, well, what if I fail? What if I put it out there and no one listens? What if it doesn't make sense? What if I can't get any guests to come on the show? I had all these what ifs running in my head that were inhibiting me from putting it out. And then I realized I had two choices. I had the choice of not putting it out and holding myself back from something that I've wanted since I was a little girl, or putting it out, potentially having it fail, also potentially having it succeed. But if my biggest fear was that it would fail, what could I live with more? Could I live with the potential failure of something that I cared deeply about or never trying to do something that I cared deeply about? And I realize, even though I do have some issues, I do love myself and I do want to do the things that I know have the potential to make me happy and to achieve my dreams. So I could definitely live with a failure or a success, but I couldn't live with a not trying. Because if I didn't do everything in my power, if I don't do everything in my power to get my dreams, then... I could feasibly at the end of my life have regret. If I do everything in my power to get my dreams and they don't come to me, I could live with that because at least I did everything I could do. And so I think that's my tactic. It's saying, what's the worst thing that could happen if I do it? And would that be worse than not doing it at all? And for me, the answer when it comes to something that is soul motivated, when it comes to something that is driven from my passion, The answer is almost always, I mean, for me, every single time it has been, I would much rather do something that could potentially fail than not to do it at all because at least I knew I put everything I had into life. So try to dissect yours. What's a time in your life when you've been brave, when you've done something that wasn't easy? Maybe you haven't stepped out yet with your career or your creativity, but you did something brave in a relationship or a friendship or at your job or with your parents. Like there has been a moment in your life when you've done something that took courage. I want you to really go back to that moment. Think about it. Extract the tactic you used. And by the way, it could have been a tactic that you built up over a long period of time. For many people, like the tactic that they used to overcome fear is just putting themselves like almost like a, a... almost like a vaccination. They're putting themselves in small amounts of fear all the time so that their tolerances build up so that when they finally get to the big fear, they're not so scared because they've been building their fear tolerance. So that could be it too. Maybe you need to take baby steps toward the thing that you want to do. But there is always, always a tactic. People, when we do hard things, we don't quote unquote just do them. There's something that is happening there. There's something at play. And so I want you to dissect a moment in your life when you've been brave, realize what tactic works for you in overcoming fear in order to do something that's very important to you and start to use it on something that you really desperately, deeply want, but are scared to do right now. Okay. (laughs) And I really do believe in you, but you don't even need me to believe in you. That's a thing because you just... 
the point of this all is that you don't need to look outside yourself. Some version of you already has all the wisdom you need to catapult your life in the direction you desire because you've already done it in some at least small way. So use it now and I can't wait to see what you do. Okay, now to the guest. Today's guest is Adair Byerly. She's the CEO and founder of Entertainment Mindframe, which is a company paving the way for understanding the brain function of creatives. While working in entertainment for a decade as a professional model and commercial actress, Adair was able to observe firsthand the unprofessional patterns and behaviors that were considered a normality in the industry. These observations led her to dive into years of research surrounding the brain and gracefully transition into a space that has long been neglected in fashion and entertainment, the mind. Today, Adair is a licensed practitioner in neurolinguistic programming and neuroplasticity and also certified in cognitive behavioral therapy techniques. She works with talent agencies, production, broadcast companies, and fashion and creative teams to help them optimize creativity, best business practices, and individual and company growth through cognitive sciences. I wanted to have Adair on the show because, frankly, I want to learn more about how creative brains work and how to increase creativity through science. So from our conversation, you'll learn tactics to create dopamine naturally, the science behind manifesting, how to increase productivity, what makes the brains of creative people different, how to get better at hearing the word no, and the difference between fear and danger. Now here she is, Adair Byerly. I want to go all the way back. When you trace the lines of your creative life, what was the inciting incident of your creativity? Like what was the first time you realized you were a creative human? Oh gosh, it has to be when, probably before I can even remember, to be honest, because I know my parents always tell me crazy stories about little things that I did. But one of the first things that I was really, really attracted to was music, actually. Mm -hmm. So music was always my first love. And I actually, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a composer and conductor. So that is originally what I wanted to go major in what I wanted to go to college for but yeah I knew very early on my father is a creative my mom's a creative so I was kind of born into a family of just creative people that's awesome and how did having that kind of family background influence what you thought was possible for your life oh anything was possible I think that was the coolest part and I honestly I didn't realize how much I was exposed to until I got older. And, um, you know, my parents were both entrepreneurs. They both grew up very poor and we didn't have the most either, but when it came to possibilities, there was nothing that we couldn't do. Um, another thing that my parents had taught me that I also didn't realize until I got older was, uh, my, my parents are different races. My mother is white and my father's African-American and they were the only people on both sides of their family that married outside of their race and had children within that. So it was not acceptable at the time. It was a big scare for both sides of the family because there was a lot of white on black crime during that time. And um, for them to join together and I guess go against the grain 
as you would say, knowing that they were going to have to fight, knowing that they were going to have to raise children in a world that really wasn't used to biracial people at the time. That was also embedded in me. So, you know, I've, I've kind of been conditioned to go after things, even if there's a slim chance it might not be accepted. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense too with the company that you've created because you saw something that wasn't there and you saw this possibility to make things better that didn't yet exist and that people would have thought didn't make sense. Like how, how is science involved in creativity? That's the mind frame that most people would have had prior to your company coming about. And I love that you can kind of trace that back to your parents stepping out and saying like, this is what we want. This is what we believe in. We don't care about the cultural barriers right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to be together in a united force and create our own lives. And I love that. For people who, first of all, I mean, like you had an extra layer because your parents were so courageous and and rebellious in their own way. But like for people who didn't have parents who were supportive or creative, I always say it's so much harder to plot their way in the world because they don't have that foundation. What would be your advice for those people on how to build themselves up when they don't have a supportive base? So this is actually something I learned in science, which is why I love science so much. But the reason why it's harder for those people is because they didn't grow up conditioned, like their brain is not used to the possibilities of what it has. So we are all a product of our environment, all of us, even on a subconscious level, we don't really understand uh, where our limitations come from. A lot of it is politics, religion, your household structure when you grow, grow up, even if you don't grow up in household structure, any way that you were raised has a lot to do with the molding of your mind. But the amazing part about our brains, which is more of a recent discovery, is we're not hardwired by any age. We can actually change our belief systems. We can change what our possibilities are. That's why daily mantras and motivational things, listening to things daily, that's why they work. Because what it's doing is it's rewiring your brain. So I would encourage people that didn't grow up with that as their norm, they can make that their norm. Mm. Is that called neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity. Yes. Look at you. (laughs) I learned that from Jim Quick. We had him on the show. So he talks about that a lot. I I definitely want to take a deeper dive into that later, but to get back to your path. So I know you wanted to be a a musician, a composer in high school, and then you shifted into a career as a model and actor. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, how did that career transition happen. And then I want to get into some of the experiences you had in that industry. Actually, when I was really, really young, from the earliest I remember, I was six. I used to say that I was going to be a model. Now, I didn't really know how tangible that really was because it's not like I had access to other things. I did have an older cousin who had went to New York and tried modeling. And she was really the only one I knew that had gone that far to try and pursue that career. But a funny thing, which I didn't really know until I got older, is my dad used to be an actor. And yeah, and he was a model. So he was, yeah, he had did some work with Kim Dawson out of Dallas, which is the biggest agency in in Dallas. Um, And then he's done a couple like extras in, in movies. And he gave that up. Uh, once my mom got pregnant with me. And so 
I don't know if it sounds kind of silly, but I don't know if it was like instilled in me. I was going to say, I feel like exactly. No, I really believe that. I think it was implanted in you because I feel like a lot of times our parents lost dreams, not because we're being stage parents, but just because like, that's how life works. And I'm sure Uh you've studied epigenetics, but I bet you it went into you. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I didn't know, like my dad, it's not like he talked about it. He didn't. It's, I swear it was like a private life that he really didn't tell us about. And what's funny about it is all of my siblings, me, my brother and sister, we're all in the world in some way. My sister is going to um, school for acting and my brother, he does stage combat and is also an actor. Like, And they both are out in California. So it just wow. kind of, yeah, it kind of came into us. But um, I think, you know, I always, I said I wanted to do that, but I just didn't really... No, and I kind of was, I was actually doing modeling, not legitimately in high school. I was still trying to find my way into the industry, but I fell into it. And so I got signed when I was 19. It was right after I graduated. And um, when I got signed, I was like, well, I'm not going to be a musician. I'm going to go be famous. (laughs) (laughs) That's how that happened. I got signed and it just, you know. One thing led to another. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that was really striking in the bio that you have and one of the inspirations for your company that you now have is you said that you were able to observe firsthand the unprofessional patterns and behaviors that were considered a normality in the industry. I definitely feel you on this one. I've had my own experiences within that realm, but Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, I mean, obviously there's like the glamorous things you see from the outside looking in, but what were some of those experiences you had and how did you recover from them? You know, oh God, so much stuff. Cause you're talking about over 10 years of, I know, I know. <laughs> of, of things, but I can say one thing I noticed, it's kind of a domino effect. Okay. So one of the right. things I noticed initially was how common it was for creatives in the industry to be dealing with anxiety or depression. Like it was almost a, you know, every topic mm-hmm. that people would be talking about behind the scenes or backstage or, you know, in production, it was just common. It's so much so that you could tell jokes about it <laughs> and people would be like, yeah, yeah, I get you. But what happens with that is I was seeing how those mental instabilities were being projected into the environment. Um, and that can range from like people that just have ego, people that are passive aggressive, and it doesn't even have to be all bad. You might have some people who, um, kind of turn it around and are overly complimentary or they are kind of the kiss ass type of person. I mean, you get all different people deal with their stuff differently and, It is constantly projected into the workplace. And what it does, what I noticed was it causes this tension of communication to where, you know, people don't like going to work. People Mm -hmm. dread somebody. They might be nice to you in person, but they really don't like you. I mean, it's just, it's like a drama club. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense because it's like we all transition from our high school drama club to Hollywood, you know, and no one got enough therapy in between. Right. Right. And what's crazy about the industry is it's so fast. The industry is so fast. That's one thing I tell people, you know, when I say I'm working, um, not all of my friends are in this industry. So not everybody understands when I say I'm busy, my time frame 
it's just busier in this world than it is in a normal world. Why? Because it's not really consistent. Um, you have so much coming at you all the time, all the time. This is why you have to hire people to help you remember, you know, what's going on. Um, and what's crazy about it is the, the level of opportunities, they're always triggering some type of emotion in you. It could be good. It could be bad. Most of the time it's good. And that emotion is an overload. It's like those hormones that are hit. And then you get like the spike of dopamine and the spike of oxytocin. And you're like, oh shit, I'm wanted. I'm loved. I'm about to succeed. This is everything I wanted. And that drives you. And that goes up and down. It is no different than an addiction that is created. Because those two hormones actually are addicting components in medication that's given to people. So if you're having that same type of reaction, let's say in the industry, when you're going after your dream, you will understand the ups and downs that you will have. It's just like having a high on a medication and then dropping off of it. Wow. Yeah. It's the same. That makes so much sense. Isn't that crazy? Because your body, it, we naturally create those things. So how can we control that a little bit more so we're not having those drops? I don't, that is something I'm not sure if it can be controlled. I think the best way to, which is what I do, is I try to educate people on it and let them know what they're feeling. Like this is what's happening when you get that call or that email from that network or that agent or, you know what I'm saying? It's something happening it. there. Um, and what happens is when there's so much clarity when we know what is going on with us, and once we're able to pinpoint like, okay, this is what this is, then we can just ride that wave instead of letting that drive us so much. Because the truth is, is that stuff is happening way before it reaches our cognitive ability to make a decision. So Hmm. our brains are kind of already making a decision for us, even though we think we're the ones doing it. So, you know, kind of understanding that and then knowing what you can do. Um, Like one of the things I've been talking about a lot for people that have been stuck at home is ways that you can produce dopamine on your own, like how to hack your hormones. And there are things that you can do, like moving around, getting up and going outside. sticking to the same schedule every day, making a micro list and uh, marking it out. Because what that does is it shows your brain that you're actually completing something. And believe it or not, that creates dopamine. And dopamine is your motivation. That's your inspiration. That's where that comes from. And so when you don't have a lot of outside stimulation, that drops. It's the same thing in the industry. Like if you don't have constant validation, whether it's from your likes, your followers, money that you're receiving, the amount of people that are reaching out to you, those dopamine levels can drop. Yeah. Those are some amazing tips. I want to get back to all of your incredible insight, but I want to know, because I think a lot of us, when we're contemplating leaving a job or for you, an entire industry and really shifting into a different part of it, we have lots of, like you said, mini breaking points throughout it. But do you remember if there was one moment where you were just done with a capital D? Like, what was the final breaking point for you? And then after you reached that, what did you do right after? It was kind of a slow transition. 
to be honest with you, like about four or five years ago, I had thought about this and I just sat on it because I was too afraid. I didn't know how to make it verbal. I was like, how can I explain this? And I mean, this was before I even started diving into all the science and stuff. So I was still like unable to say anything. (laughs) And I would try to talk to people about it. And they're like, that's never going to work because this and this and this. And what's crazy, Lauren, is I had actually seen that the the infamous scandals that had come out the last couple Mm. of years, I had told people that is going to happen. That's going to start happening. Why? Because the industry is always changing and there's always a new hot thing in Hollywood. And women were starting to become very sought after roles in movies, right? Well, they started to make women superheroes. And, you know, even when they did the Oceans, what was that movie with all the women? Oceans. 11 11 I can't remember what are the numbers (laughs) yeah where they had only women doing it because that kind of the that is where Hollywood was going but even before that I mean there was just all these movies were starting and I saw that happening I was like okay Hollywood is starting to put women in the forefront more so and it's going to change something is going to change a woman is going to speak up And you know what? They're going to have the power because that's what's happening right now. And lo and behold, that's what happened. The Me Too movement actually started back in 2009 and it was not in Hollywood. It kind of picked up in 2017 and became Hollywood and all of this stuff came out. And these are things, the things that were coming out, these are things that I saw. These are things that, or I knew were happening. And I was like, I don't know how these people are running business. And they all, they fell to their knees. People were losing million dollar contracts. People were going to prison. Some girls were taking their lives because they couldn't deal with what happened to them. And I was like, this isn't normal (laughs) guys. Mm -hmm. It's normal. So it was really me seeing this huge gap of no accountability, no structure. I was like, this has to change. And a lot of it stems, you'd be surprised, so much of it stems back to mental health. Now, I'm not a part of these cases, so I don't know, you know, everything that was involved when these scandals came out. But I can tell you just from studying the things that I've studied. So it's kind of like, why is this ignored? But you can't run business with that. It's almost impossible. It projects into business and what happens. This is what happens. These scandals happen. And that's just an example. So I saw that and I was like, I don't want to run from this because I see it. So I just took years learning how to verbalize it. And then after that, you know, I just went with it. So tell me about Entertainment Mindframe. Where did you, because you're, you know, you've alluded to where you got the idea, but like, how did you actually pinpoint, like, this is what I want to do. And what exactly is Entertainment Mindframe for those that don't know? Yes. So Entertainment Mindframe is a company that provides cognitive enhancement and internal communication strategies for professionals or brands in entertainment media or fashion. And we do that by applying brain and behavioral sciences to the world of fame. So I'm trying to figure out how exactly 
<laughs> I did. But I mean, because it was a long time. And I just had to start doing it before things fell into place. But I had a bunch of different names in mind. And, you know, one thing I really struggled with, actually, Lauren, was I was like, how am I going to go from being a model to, you know, speaking about science? Because yeah. nobody, nobody knew I was a nerd. Nobody knew that I enjoyed that stuff on my free time. Like, I kind of created this identity of a model and never really shared anything that I care for or you know, got me excited. Like your dad. Yeah. Wonder, wonder where I got that from. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to switch from this because people know me one way, you know, and I had to get over that fear like that. I think that was really holding me back more. How did you do that? Anything. (laughs) I just had to, I just had to do it. I don't know. It took me a long time because I was actually dealing with some sort of identity crisis because I built up this image. And what's crazy about this is a lot of people do this in the industry because people that are creatives, they're usually creative at more than one thing, right? But they get known for one thing. And then that one thing drives their image and then they have to maintain it. But there's so many other things to them that they have inside of them that they're good at or maybe is life-changing that they've never been able to express because that technically doesn't make them money. And so they've neglected that part of them. And that's something also that I deal with a lot. That alone can create anxiety. That alone can create depression because you're having your own identity crisis. So for me, I just said, okay, I have to, I, modeling was a platform for me. Okay. Like and I got to have a wonderful experience. If I would have never been a professional model, I would have never had the insight that I had. So I had to kind of look at it instead of me saying, I'm changing my appearance. I had to say, this is my street cred. And then I had to just apply that to business and the stuff that I'm talking about now, because I was always more interested anyway in what was behind the camera instead of being in front of it. So I just had to get over it. It was hard, but I had to do it. It took me years. I had to get over it. For you, getting over the fear was just, it was time. It was putting in the work, constantly approaching things that were scary. And then finally, you kind of, you don't get immune to it, but you get used to it. And you can keep going forward. You do. And then there's a point where it's like you have a decision to make. Because those years that I was walking in fear, it was about me. If I'm thinking in a fear-based mentality, I'm thinking about myself. And then it just finally got to a point where I was like, okay, look, I'm, I'm talking about something that can change people's experience in an entire industry. So I can either walk in this fear or I can step out of this and really share something that changes more than one person's life. And I had to just, you know what I mean? I had to like weigh that out. Do I want to, do I want to make it about me or do I want to be my own hero and, you know, make other people's lives better. Right. I mean, that is such a great lesson because when you are deeply steeped in fear, it's always an ego thing, right? And when you're on purpose and in, and not focusing on the fear, but instead focusing on what your purpose is, it's about service. And so that shift you are able to make for yourself is so powerful and a great tool for you who are listening. So what did the early days of your company look like? Like, How did you actually 
open it? Did you do fundraising? What were the steps? Actually, no, I didn't do any fundraising at all. <laughs> I had had such a good rapport in the industry myself that, you know, once I had created this and I just started putting it out there and talking to professionals and they just wanted me, they just wanted me to come. They were like, whoa, I need you. Like come tomorrow, do an evaluation with us tomorrow. So it was kind of, it was kind of an easy trans, a lot easier than I thought it would be. I mean, and I'm still, you know, working on breaking into a wider frame, but for starting off, it was as easy as just me talking to people that I, where I knew it was lacking and I didn't really have to sell myself. I don't really believe in selling yourself anyway, because it can easily come off as um, I need you to do this for me. And I obviously it would benefit me more. So I never approached it that way. I always, I always talked about something that I could see missing and I knew that they wanted. And if you can't sit in front of people and see what they're missing and understand what they're wanting, then it's a lot harder as a business person to pitch yourself because everybody wants to know, can you solve my problem? You know, can you solve my problem? How do I need you? What can I do? And you just, me being able to verbalize that for them without ever having that formal sit down conversation, it just kind of happened organically. I think I was lucky in that though. Cause like I said, my, my, I'm doing something that has never been done before in this industry. So it's not like it's easy in that way, but cause I, I've gotten pushed back and I've had people not follow through and I've had people say no, or people that don't understand, you know, I don't think it's needed. I've had that happen and that's fine. Um, but yeah, me having that experience in the industry, I kind of knew how to walk the walk and talk the talk. Like I know the dynamic very well. I know the politics. So it was easy for me, you know, to talk to businesses and brands. When you do get a no, how do you recover from that rejection? And what's your tips for other people on how to just pick up and keep going? Oh, man, you know, this is something I had years of conditioning for being in the industry to <laughs> begin with. It varies because... It depends on how much you believe in something. Like sometimes you will go after something and you can just see it. Like you see your whole life changing. You see make yourself making this huge impact. And then let's just say, you know, you get a no. And that one no was the difference between you being where you are now and you being where you saw yourself being. And it's just shattered. Like it's a shattering feeling. But what I've had to do is I've had to stop putting so much power in other people's answers. If someone tells me no, then that is just one person. That is some one person telling me no. And I don't care how big they are. I don't care how famous they are. You can still respect people and say that, but you have to give yourself more power and say, okay, you know what? That's fine. You don't, you don't need it now. That's okay. I will go do my thing and you'll call me when you're ready. You have to know your worth, period. Like you have to know what you have to offer and all you're doing, all you're doing as a business person, whether you're owning a company or not, even if you are your own brand, 
all you're doing is offering what you have to give. And just because someone else doesn't need it or doesn't want it doesn't mean you don't have anything to offer. So I had to continue to offer it. Like I can't just stop offering. And that's kind I just had to switch my mentality on no's. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And I think that the the tricky thing for you is that you're not only pitching to them a product or an idea, you're also asking them to shift what they've classically seen value in. Because oh, if they yeah. don't, the industry is going to collapse. We've just we've seen that right. through the past few years. Yeah. And there was something else in your bio that made me chuckle. It said that you help a lot of entertainment and, and media companies learn communication. And it made me chuckle because I've been in the industry for a while, worked with a lot of different communication and media companies, and definitely have seen a pattern in that a lot of these companies, while they are supposed to specialize in the art of communication, have a very difficult time communicating. Why do you think that is? Okay, so it's it's worked for so long. And by working, I mean it doesn't seem like it's broken. So why fix it? That's kind of the mentality that most people in this industry have. They don't fix anything until it becomes a huge burden. And these are things that I never understood. I was like, why do you guys wait? Why do you wait until the company is damn near getting shut down for you to make changes? That shouldn't happen. So a lot of the things that I talk about is preventative work. And luckily, so many things have come out the past couple of years that brands and companies are starting to see that it is needed. So when I talk about it, it's not as closed off as it would have been five years ago. Now it's very different. Now people are starting to see, okay, we can't just do things the way that we want and it works. On a smaller scale where let's say nothing's going on, nothing's wrong within the industry or, or not within the industry, but within a company. One thing I noticed was, you know, we're, we're so good at, at the art of communication. We're so good at it because, I mean, we go to school for that. We go to school for perfecting our art. And then we go out into the real world, we go into this industry and we think, oh, okay, we're just going to express ourselves and, and it's just a platform for me to be creative and I can finally do what I want to do. And we completely ignore the fact that there is science behind communication. And that science lies in, you know, our mind frame and the way we think. And the stuff I was talking about earlier, like our, you know, mental instabilities, the way that's projected into environment and the egos and all kinds, you get all kinds of personalities. And I don't want to change those personalities. I actually love working with those people. I love the divas. I love the jokes. <laughs> I really do. Like, I love all of them. How can you learn to love them? <laughs> I just, I personally <laughs> like them because I know that is them. And I commend those people for, you know, stepping out of the box anyway and living a life and being a certain way that may not be very likable by everybody everybody you still might have to make some transitions <laughs> in mm. that but um i personally like those people because they're just not scared and those people yeah. sometimes they're sometimes i think that they're the most scared though because you know, people have... who act arrogant have usually low self-esteem and self-worth oh the I arrogant found. people okay so yeah. the arrogant people 
there's a little there's a difference there yeah you can have diva personalities right and not be an arrogant person so everyone that i've had that i love as a diva <laughs> or an asshole <laughs> whoever it is they've all been very respectful of other people mm. arrogant people yeah. on the other hand they don't have the best regard for other people outside of them. And you're right. There's usually an offset going on or overcompensation going on for, you know, something that they don't have or something that they're living up to. I've absolutely dealt with those people. They are the hardest people to work with. And even from my perspective, I know it's hard for other people that work with them day to day, but it's hard for me because they have done such a good job at building up, um, you know, an image and a personality to help them cope with whatever they have going on. When I challenge that, it is very difficult. It's very difficult because right. it's a very personal thing. And my job, I'm not trying to come in and change people in the way that they are. I All I want to do is help people understand why they think the way they think and why they make the decisions that they make. And once you understand the way you think, you can control your decision-making better. And then it's a domino effect from there. It all starts in your mind and it just kind of, you know, trickles down. I am totally going off on a tangent here. <laughs> well, I, I want to take that tangent and turn it into something. So one of the missions of your company is to understand the brain function of a creative person. So what, what does that mean? And like, what have you found out about the brain function of creative people? everybody's brain is pretty much wired the same. Like we don't, when I say wired, I mean like structurally it's all kind of the same. So it's not like creatives have like, you know, a different build of their brain, but one thing creatives do have that um, other people don't have. And, and this isn't just creatives in the world of art. This could be a scientist or a doctor, anybody that is going beyond what has ever been done. The reason right. why that is so amazing and so incredible is because our brains are made to stop us when we go beyond what we don't know naturally and it does that to keep us alive okay so people that go out there way way out there like elon musk out there <laughs> stuff that has never been done before those people have a special way of going past those boundaries and this is happening at a cellular level that's what's so cool about it it's not just like, oh, I'm too scared to do something because I've never done it before. You are tackling a neurological structure that has been given to us since we've been walking this planet. And the fact that you naturally do that as a creative and you don't have a lot of fear when you do it, that is commendable. Because if everybody was like that, if every person in the world was like that, we would all be more successful than we are because it's it really is as simple as a belief system does that make sense i that's think so that's like the part of creatives that make them so unique in the way that they think is they can go straight beyond something that's never been done never been seen before they stick to it even if they hear no's even if they hear it's never going to work out and that's not really normal that's not what a normal brain does. A normal brain is like, okay, this isn't going to work. I got to stick to where it's safe. So I'm going to go over here. But creatives don't do that. Creatives go do down think... that path of, you know, 
not least resistance. We're supposed to take the path of least resistance, but creatives don't do that. Do you think that that's something you can increase in yourself? If you're the type of person who puts up blockages or you're even a creative person, but you want to become more creative through the science that you've observed, do you think that's something we can increase? And if so, how? I think it is because anything that you do, anything you practice doing, and that goes back to the neuroplasticity, anything that you practice doing, you build it, it becomes stronger, it becomes a stronger neurological build in your brain. And you don't even think about it twice after a while. It's just like working out, like physically going out, working out a muscle. And you do that for so long that before you know it, your body is doing it for you. That is actually why people know how to drunk text. <laughs> because it's true because you, you have been building that pathway for so long on texting that when you are completely intoxicated and liberated and you don't even know what you're doing, you can still formulate sentences and not even know it with your fingers. It's kind of crazy how our bodies work and it does that to keep us alive. So anything that you practice, and it, that could be anything. It could be, yes, I want to be more creative. So I'm going to push and I'm going to do this and I'm going to go down a path that I've never known before. Yeah. After a while that gets easier. And it can be the same on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you're going to keep doubting yourself, we'll keep doing that. And you're going to be building that neurological wiring of a doubt, you know, field in your head. And that's going to be your reality. What do you think about, you know, this is a hot button word right now. People are always talking about manifesting. I'm one of them as well. But I'm wondering, like, from your point of view, first of all, do you believe in it? And is there any science that can support manifesting? I do believe in manifestation because manifestation is basically, it's just, it's a very spiritual and, and feel good word for what we are capable of doing scientifically. That's why it's not really a made up thing, but there, there is science behind manifestation. And part of it comes from what I just said, which is building a belief system, building a practice in your brain. And when you build your thoughts in your head, it's the cutest thing ever. I love this, but they look like little <laughs> trees. They look like tiny Aww. little trees in your head. And I mean, of course, this is on like a microscopic level, but still they're, they're tiny little trees and it just keeps growing and it gets stronger and stronger. And the amazing part is, you know, you can build that or break that down at any moment. That's that neuroplasticity we were talking about earlier. So that's part of manifesting is believing. The second part is the neuroscience behind our brain, which is, um, you know, our, our brains look for things on a subconscious level. It looks for things that fit into our belief system. So let's say that, you know, you, this is kind of how, maybe coincidences might happen, right? You're looking at something or you're reading something that kind of opens your mind up to, I don't know, let's say meditation. Okay, meditation is a common one <laughs> that's, that's happening right now. Let's say that you're, you're learning about meditation, you know, and you're starting to breathe differently and you're starting to, you know, get yoga mats and all this, all this meditation life, this yoga life. And then you start running into more people that are doing it, or you start seeing more things that 
are along the lines of meditation, um, whether it's symbols or music or clothing, whatever it is. But the reason that happens is because you, you built up this belief system in your head and your brain goes and it searches for things. It's like constantly scanning your environment and it searches for things to fit within that. Um, so it, it kind of seems like, oh my God, how did that happen? That's crazy. I was just talking about this or you know, this is happening. But really what you did is when you were opening yourself up to it, now you opened your, you know, the prefrontal cortex, you, you, or you open the possibility of yourself noticing it in the first place, which you may not have done before if you did not explore that realm. Now, one thing I do not know, and I don't know if other scientists know yet, is the really crazy coincidences that happen. Like, for instance, I, I write down things that I want to happen. And I write, I literally will write down people I want to work with. Okay. Every single person that I have written down that I want to work with, I either have worked with them or I met someone who was only one person away from them. And that was wow. weird. Cause I was like, how in the world? Cause it's not like I set out to do it. That's the crazy thing. I would write down a name <laughs> and I would work with somebody who is literally like the right hand of the person that I said I was going to work with. And I didn't even know that. That is kind of crazy. That's like crazy stuff. And, um, but I just think we're so powerful. You know, we are such powerful beings and I don't think we realize how much brain power we have behind the things we want. Even if we don't understand it, you know, there has to be something behind that. If there was one piece of advice you could give someone listening on what you've learned about brains and creativity and like how to live a life not ruled by fear, what would you say to them and why? Like an advice or a tool? Fear is something I actually like to talk about a lot because fear is very natural. It was given to us um, to keep us alive. It comes from our nervous system. And it's been around as long as we've been on this planet. So I like to talk about fear because there's so many things out there that shame fear, where it's like, uh, you can't have that, or you're scared, you're being, you know, a whiny baby or whatever word you want to use. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. The case is, is that we're all natural human beings and fear is a part of us. Now, what I like to point out, which is very, very powerful, is fear does not equate to danger, but that's what we know it as, right? So we have fear to warn us of danger, but it is completely possible to be fearless and still be aware that there's danger out there. And the way to do that is by acknowledging that fear exists inside of us and danger is outside of us and we can only control what's inside of us. So you can still, like I said, you can still acknowledge danger is out there and you can still be fearless. And that's what makes you your own hero. That's what makes you courageous. That's what makes you strong. It's not being naive. It's not about being naive and going out and saying, oh, nothing can touch me. I'm invincible. There's no danger. No, that's not true. There is danger, but you can be fearless. So Pointing that out and acknowledging that fear exists in me, dangers outside of me, and just taking control of what you have 
um, that has been, that's been the few things that I've said to people where they're like, oh, wow. And it just made a difference for them. Mic drop. (laughs) I've never heard it put that way. And I've asked probably now at least 50 people in the past year about fear and their relationship with fear. So -hmm. that's a good one. Definitely keep spreading the gospel on that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my final question, Adair, I'm really, I believe that creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. And I always like to think about like taking care of little Lauren and trying to, you know, create a life that she'd be proud of. Uh So if you and your younger self were standing in the same room, whatever age you think of her, um, and you were looking at each other, what do you think she would say to you and why? Oh my gosh. I think she would tell me finally, (laughs) I think she would tell me finally, because there was, it is so crazy that you asked me that. That is such a crazy question because I actually had like, I think about two years ago, I had rethought of that question. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I hate that question. I freaking hate that question. And I was like, it's, it's like avoiding the child that you are. And you just want to jump into this adulthood that you don't even know anything about. And I was like, what if we did it the other way around? What if we just asked our older selves, would my younger self be proud of me? So it's crazy. That's absolutely bonkers that you asked me that. And that's the way I look at it. Like, that's another thing that helped me make the decision was, you know, me knowing that I still had this little Adair in me that was waiting for me to blossom. And I owe it to her because she knew her potential very early on. I think all children do because we come from a place where no, like you told me, no, we don't know what no is. We only hear no from our parents. We hear no from our teachers. We hear no from everything else outside of us. But when we come into this world, we believe. And I owed it to that girl to go to that full end of that belief system. So, and I'm still not there yet. I mean, I'm just tapping into it, but I think that's amazing you asked me that question. I think that girl would be proud of me, at least saying, hey, you're on the right track. (laughs) And I'm curious with that in mind, what would you say to her and why? Okay, I would tell her, you have everything you need to go through what you're going to go through and do not give up on yourself. Because there was a time period when I just went through shit. I mean, it was just, it was like a book of unrealistic shit. And I was like, there's no way someone who's going through this. And I mean, I'm talking about death, depression, just terrible, low, low places and dark places that people can get in their life. Nobody's going to go through this and have the life that I see myself having. And that was like the hardest thing. I think so many people go through that. We get in this really, really dark space, this dark time in our life. And we're like, man, this isn't the life that I see myself having. I'm not the person I thought I was. Or, you know, and you start having all these doubts. Like I'm not even close. I'm not even close to what I want to be. And all it does is make you sink in further. So I would totally, you know, tell myself, you know, you're going to go through that and just do not, do not lose sight. Don't lose sight. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you just hit on something. I think anybody who is, I call them a deep feeler, a creative person, a a passionate person, we've all had that moment. It's like I always hear, uh, you know, do you know Les Mis? Yeah, yeah. I always hear I dreamed a dream happening in those moments of my life. And you you convince yourself really that it's all over. And it's funny because it's not funny, but it's interesting because every person I know who's had moments or a, a moment like that in their lives has come out on the other side of it being the strongest, most kick-ass superhero I've ever met, including myself. And it's clear that that's your truth too. And so I'm just so glad we get to end the episode by sharing that if you're in that darkness of the soul right now, you're going to come out and you're going to be stronger and life will be beautiful again. I promise you. Oh yeah. And you'll have and muscles. Thank- you'll have like spiritual yes. muscles to flex. <laughs> thank you so much Adair for sharing your soul and your passion. I appreciate you. you. No, I love this talk. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Adair Byerly. For more info about Adair and her company, Entertainment Mindframe, check out her website, entertainmentmindframe.com and her Facebook, facebook.com slash entertainmentmindframe. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you enjoy the show, the best way to share that is by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and following it on Spotify. If you really like the show, tell a friend about it and take a screenshot of yourself listening, share to your Instagram stories, tag at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso and I will repost it. My new single Rise is now out on all music streaming platforms, so check it out. And my wish for you this week is that you're simply kind to yourself and that you remember a younger version of yourself that was brave and extract the tactic to go towards something that's a little bit scary right now. I'll talk with you next week. I believe in you.